Well, this is part three of a series going through uh, this topic of stretch. The big idea is that this time of year, as, as we're going through this series, which is September, is typically a time of year when a lot of us feel stretched thin with all the things that are going on, um, whether it's school or another year of work or whatever it might be. This is just a common time to feel stretched. So the question we're asking in this series is, are we stretching ourselves the way that God wants us to be stretched? And in particular, we're looking at three different areas of life where God wants us to stretch ourselves so that there's a blessing on the other side. And today the topic or the, uh, yeah, the topic we're getting into today is a topic that isn't so much one that will challenge you to change your life. The topic is one that really gets to the heart of what it means to live a transformed life. And uh, here's what I mean by that. When you look at how Jesus taught and, and what he preached, there were certain days when he almost hit the pause button about these, you know, deep truths, and he just gave people pictures about who he was and why he came. Um, the, the Apostle John records that there was one day in particular where Jesus used a bunch of pictures and a bunch of analogies to describe it, and Jesus called himself the gate for the sheep pen. He said he is the gate. He, he referred to himself as the gatekeeper for the sheep pen. And then he even referred to himself as the good shepherd for the sheep. And in all these pictures, what he was communicating was that he was uniquely, uniquely able to fill all the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people. He alone has that ability to do so. In fact, in in John chapter 10, as Jesus was using these pictures, he came up with this truth. He, He looked at the people and he said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In other words, if other people come along claiming to do what I can do, they are stealing and killing and destroying. But for me, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And he said, I am the only one who is equipped and able to give you life and give you life to the full. Now, this brings us to our big question for today, the the kind of the thing that will revolve around for a while here. And it's this. If Jesus gives life, and more than that, if he gives life to the full, what do you expect to see in his followers? What kind of people should Christians be? Now, you might think that if they kind of researched or did statistics on Christians versus non-Christians, there would be this very clear line between the two where Christians come out ahead in certain areas all the time and non-Christians, you know, fall on the other side. But actually, you might be surprised to hear this. There's different research companies out there, and they all basically agree on their findings. There was one in particular that stood out to me. It was a quote by George Barna. And he's leader of the Barna Leadership or Barna Research Institute. Basically, they do a bunch of polling. They uh, ask people questions, and they kind of get a religious feel for the country too to see how things pan out. And in one interview, he dropped this bombshell. He was he was talking to this interviewer, and he said, based on our recent research, the marriage of a Christian is no happier than the marriage of a non-Christian. That, that religion has no factor on happiness or longevity of marriage. And the interviewer just was perplexed by that. To which George Barna followed up with this quote. He said, Of more than 70 other moral behaviors that we study, 
When we compare Christians to non-Christians, we rarely find substantial differences. Yet Christians will call things a sin more than non-Christians, but when it comes to their lifestyle and how they actually live, Barna says there's virtually no substantial difference between the two. And you need to know what kind of stuff Barna pulls. They call people, they pull people, and they say, how healthy is your marriage? They ask people, how patient are you? How generous are you? They ask people how healthy they are physically, how healthy they are emotionally. They ask tough questions like, do you look at pornography? How often are you pouring into your marriage? And and a slew of questions, over 70 different topics that they routinely poll people with. And the findings are on the screen. There is no substantial difference between Christians and non-Christians. How does that make you feel? Some of you are a bit defensive right now. You're saying, well, surveys and polls, they're not accurate. Fair enough. Maybe they're not. Some of you are, are feeling a little disgusted that Christianity doesn't really have an impact. Uh, some of you are feeling a little guilty that you feel like you kind of contribute to this fact. And I would imagine all of us are feeling just a little bit empty. If Jesus gives life and gives life to the full, why doesn't that show in our lives? What's wrong? And here's what we're going to talk about today. There's actually a way you can stretch yourself so that what is on the screen right now can go away. So that when people look at your life, there is a difference. And it doesn't start with learning more about what's sin and what isn't sin. It's not about understanding yourself. The way to stretch yourself is by, as we'll see in a minute, it's by remembering where you should be. As, as we get into the topic here today, I want to make clear also that when it comes to this problem, you know, Jesus giving life to the full, the problem isn't with Jesus. It's not on his end. He made that perfectly clear when he died and rose again. He is the author of life. He can give life. He can give it to the full. He can fill up our emptiness. The problem isn't with Jesus. The problem is with me problem is with you. The thing that connects us to what Jesus did is this thing called faith. And if our faith isn't growing, if our faith isn't strong, it will not reach out the emptiness to have Jesus fill it up. And to be clear, we're not talking about eternal life here. A mustard size amount of faith, mustard seed size amount of faith is enough for Jesus to bring you to heaven because it's not about the size of your faith, it's the object of your faith. But when it comes to your daily life and your daily living, if you don't hold out your emotional well-being to Jesus, he can't fill it up. If, if you don't hold out your, your turmoil to Jesus, he can't address it. He can't direct it. It's more a matter of our faith, which is holding us back. So as, as you take a look back at this, the, the key that we're going to talk about today, the foundation that we're going to build on, and ultimately the thing I'm going to challenge you to stretch at the end of the message is this whole concept of your faith. Your faith. And I don't want to be misunderstood, so we're going to clear this out 
I'm not saying that faith is going to magically make all the hardships in your life go away. All your struggles are going to disappear. That's not what faith does. Faith is not designed, it is not able to make your life better. It might make your life better because the more you reflect Jesus' love, the more, you know, better your relationships will be and your life could be better. But faith in Jesus is not a guarantee your life will be better. But there is another guarantee. It's on the screen here. A growing faith may not make your life better, but it will make you better at dealing with life. It won't change the circumstances of your life, but it will equip you and empower you to be better at life. And as we look at that today, we're going to dig down into some deep areas of life that are going to challenge you and to make you think twice. But I hope this is an an environment where, of all places, we, we can gather together to look at what it really means to have a growing faith. Because at the end of the day, Jesus' desire for you and for me is to have life and have a life that is full. And we cannot have that if we have a faith that shrinks away from him. So we're going to turn to a psalm today. It's Psalm 92. We're going to skip to the last uh, half of it, or the last uh, third of it, actually. And what I love about this psalm is that it was written, first of all, 3,000 years ago. And anything that's 3,000 years old is pretty cool in my books. But the other part of it is that this psalm gets to the heart of what it means to have a growing faith and how it is possible for people to this day to stretch themselves in such a way that the fullness that Jesus wants us to have is within our reach. So we're going to have some, a little bit of fun here as we open up to verse 12 of Psalm 92. We've been kind of deep so far, but we'll, we'll have a little fun here. It says this, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. We're going to talk about this word righteous a little bit later, but for now, just picture a certain person. A certain person will flourish like a palm tree. A certain person will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. And to make things a little bit... Um, get you guys engaged just a little bit. Right now, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them, flourish like a palm tree. Come on, guys. Okay, let's try this again. Now, this time, the other person on the other side is feeling neglected. So turn to them and say, grow like a cedar. Love it. Now, we are in Minnesota. We have neither palm trees nor cedars of Lebanon, because we're not in Lebanon. 3,000 years ago, those two kinds of trees would have been perfectly familiar with the people, and the moment you heard their names, it would have sent this uh, image into your mind. This palm tree image, and we still have this today. You can go to Arizona or arid climates. You see palm trees. The palm palm trees mentioned here were fig palm trees. They were tough. They were resilient. They grew where not a lot of other things would grow. They were beautiful with their palms on on top. Um, They were good for eating. You could even use the sap in the tree for for a drink. You could turn it into a drink. They would use the palm branches for roofs for their houses. They would also use palm branches for celebration occasions like Palm Sunday. So the palm tree, when people would hear that, they would think strong, beautiful, resilient, useful— This isn't something that just flounders back and forth. And even more so with this cedar of Lebanon idea. The cedar of Lebanon, if if you want to put it in today's terms, picture something like a sequoia tree. Huge, 
old, been growing for a long time. It's seen a lot of rough days, but it is strong and resilient. Those cedar trees of Lebanon were especially wanted for their quality of building, building material. They were resistant to insects, and they were just this strong, sturdy building material. And if you got the cedars of Lebanon, you were upper class. This was the best stuff to work with. And so the psalmist is saying this. Picture this. You are flourishing. By the way, use that word more often this week. You are flourishing like a palm tree. You are growing like a cedar. Both of those words bring to mind resiliency and an ability to weather any storm. A usefulness, even though resources may be scarce. And where you found those trees, you know there is a source of water and a source of life because they've been around for a long time. So we're, we're getting this idea. So, okay, the righteous, we'll talk about them in a minute, but these certain people, they flourish like palm trees. They grow like cedars. What is it that makes them grow and flourish? He goes on. They're planted in the house of the Lord, and they will flourish in the courts of our God. He says this is the key to why they flourish and why they grow. If you want to be a palm tree, be planted in the courts of God. Now, in today's, t- today's language, we might just— say that, oh, this is like going to church, right? Like that makes you a spiritual, religious person. If your coworkers say, what are you doing this weekend? And you tell them, I'm going to church. They'll be like, wow, you are a religious person. You're spiritual. God must mean a lot to you. And just going to church for one hour in today's culture signifies that you're a religious person. But that's not what Psalm 92 is talking about. You see, We've been trying this. For decades, Christians have been coming to church, and still we don't have the fullness of God. Still, we look just like everyone else in the world. What the psalm writer is getting at is something much deeper than showing up in church once a week and then going on your merry way. He's talking about a life in which you are planted in the courts of God, in the presence of of God himself. So the question is, well, where have you been planted? Where have you been planted? When it uh, comes to faith in God, a growing faith might not make your life better, but it will make you better at life. And what we're seeing here is that where you're planted makes a big difference. So where have you been planted? A quick story to illustrate. So we moved into our house 13 months ago. Not that I'm counting, but 13 months we've lived in our, in our current house, our current home. Right before we moved in, we had th- three beautiful maple trees in the front yard, and a storm came through and blew down the middle one. So, you know, it happened right before we moved in. Thankfully, the owners were gracious enough to clean it up, get a stump grinder out, you know, basically— cleaned it all up for us right before we moved in, which was awesome. It was amazing. Um, But it was just this scar in our front yard, this big, you know, area where there was churned up um, stump and dirt, no grass. It was just this bald spot. And so this earlier this spring, guess what I found growing randomly in our lawn? An oak tree. I have no idea where it came from. I don't know what bird did what to make it grow there. 
But I had this beautiful, tiny, you know, oak tree sproutling uh, just growing up on our property. So I'm, I'm smart. I'm like, I'm going to take this and put it in the bald spot. And so I transplant it, big hunk of dirt. I move it back over to where this bald spot is. And all the while, Amy's looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, woman, just watch. So I water it. It's not, it wasn't really growing, but at the same time, you know, it was kind of, it's not had a lot of time. And so it's not dying either, which I, I figured was a good thing. It was just sort of there, you know, with its five leaves or whatever. Well, we had this tree expert come out to look at the other two trees to make sure they wouldn't fall down. And that's another story for another day. But he looked at this thing I did and he kind of shook his head. <laughs> and Amy was like, I know. <laughs> But he, this, I didn't know this. He said, there's no chance for this new tree to survive here. Because even though it looks good on the surface, beneath the surface, the root system for the old tree is still there. And it will be for a long time. You can plant this tree here, but it's not going to grow. It's not going to thrive. And it's not going to do what it was designed to do. So where have you been planted? Number two on your sheet, growth is mostly determined by where something is planted. Sometimes you can throw all the fertilizer you want down it, the miracle grow, whatever you want to call it, the Rogaine. No, that's not for plants. But sometimes growth is just mostly determined based on where something is located. So where have you been planted? There are so many different examples we could bring up, but I'm not going to and we don't need to. Because there are just some really common places where we tend to plant ourselves where there is no room for growth. And this is a common one. I don't like preaching about it or against it because um, it it can be so different for different people. But I'm just going to point to one scientific study that was recently done. And it has to do with social media. The survey went like this. They did an extensive study of people. They measured their levels of happiness, their levels of satisfaction, levels of joy, and then how much social media they used at the same time. And and they tried to find, is there a connection between a person's value of life or happiness in life compared to social media? And this is what they found. First of all, lots of data, lots of words I didn't understand, but thankfully they had a concluding paragraph. This is what they said. We found that the more you use social media, they actually used one platform. I didn't want to mention it. The more you use social media over time, remember those two words, the more over time, more over time, the more likely you are to experience negative physical health, negative mental health, and negative life satisfaction. Why on earth would that be? It's because of where you are planted. You're planted in a place that I like to call outside of reality. You're seeing someone else's highlight reels for their life, and you're comparing it to to your life under the sun, and you are not going to be happy with that comparison. You're planting yourself in a place that's disconnected from reality. And the more you do that over time, the more you will draw dissatisfaction and unhappiness. Now, I'm not saying give up on social media, but I'm just saying you can be the most connected person in the world and the unhappiest person in the world at the same time. Where are you planted? Where are you drawing your truth, your happiness from? Here's another general example, and 
lots of different ways to, to see this or see the symptoms, but basically, when you plant yourself on a lie, your life will not be good. The lie could be anything. It could be that you think that your value depends on your performance, and the better you are at things, the, the more valuable you become. That's a lie. And the more you sit on that lie and stick your roots into that lie, the worse you will get, and you will not be able to grow. Maybe your life is, is or maybe your lie is this, that God couldn't possibly love you. And so you need to plant yourself far away from him to grow up into something that he's pleased with. That is a lie. And the more you let yourself be planted in that lie, the less you'll be able to grow. Maybe you're telling yourself the lie that you're just worthless. That there is no hope for you. That people can't stand you. And so the only way to escape that is to plant yourself in substance abuse, alcohol abuse. Try to self-medicate it away in any way that you can. You plant yourself there. That is poison. Where have you been planted? Now here's the bad news, and we're going to follow up with some good news. But the bad news, first of all, is that if you've been planted in a place that is poisonous, you are powerless to escape it. If you try to pull up your roots, you will destroy yourself. If you try to branch out your roots into a better place, you cannot reach it. The only way to be replanted and to be in the place where God wants you to be is if he takes you there. And that is where the good news is. I don't care how long you've been planting yourself in whatever place you've been. That does not matter because you have a father in heaven who sent his son to move you to where you need to be. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He spent his time on the cross being punished and suffering and ultimately dying so that he could put to death the roots that you entrenched where there was no hope. He put to death the old you. And in his resurrection, he brought to life a new person, planted in the courts of God himself. Here's the beauty of this. When, when God does that, when by faith he, he condemns a person through Christ and then brings them to life through his resurrection, the amazing thing that happens is that we find ourselves planted in the presence of God himself. And where God plants you, there is growth. Where he plants you, there is love, there is righteousness, all these things which you and I did not have. And the more you stick your roots into his truth, the more you grow. You are not valued based on your performance. You are valued based on Christ's performance. You're a holy child of God. Your purpose is not to make people happy. Your purpose is to love God and love others as you've been loved. That's growth. And when you look at the depth of this uh, place to which he has called you and where he has planted you, it leads to an amazing place, which we're about to see in the rest of this psalm, uh, Psalm 92. But I want to pause there for just a minute. Where have you been planted? You've been forgiven of that. Move on and look at where God has now placed you, a place where you can grow. Flourish like a palm tree. Grow 
like a cedar. I want to go back to this word righteousness. The righteous will flourish. They will grow like the cedar. That word righteous doesn't mean you have to do something and then you'll flourish or do something and then you'll grow. It's that God has planted us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. We draw from that benefit. God sees us as righteous. So righteousness is not the cause of growth. It's the effect of it. It's the effect of your growth. So now these righteous ones are being built up into this glorious thing to God, strong, flourishing, and growing. And here's the effect. When that happens, this is cool. Next verse. When that happens, they will still bear fruit in old age. Do we have any old people here? I'm sorry. Had to lighten things up again. Let's make it really awkward. I want you to turn to someone nearby who's old. I want you to say to them, stay fresh and green. <laughs> Love it. Love it. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Now, here's the thing about, about trees that stay fresh and green. They stay fresh and green not because they're cocooned off from the world. They stay fresh and green because of where they're planted and because of how long they've been planted there. Think about trees. I mean, how many storms have they had to endure? How many hardships have they gone through? How many limbs have they lost? How many leaves fell off and then they had to grow back again? Like every year, it keeps happening. I think the trees would get frustrated after a while. But even in old age, they still stay fresh and green. And I want to kind of comfort you with this, first of all. The older you get, the more storms you go through. The older you get, the more storms you go through. Maybe at a time in your life, you were young, vigorous, growing, 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 and now that's gone. For a time in life, you had those little saplings growing up underneath your branches, but now they've moved to a different forest. Times in life when you were horribly ill. Times in life when you lost those close to you. In old age, the longer you live, the more storms you go through, the more things you have to endure. But here's beautiful thing. Even in old age, they stay fresh and green. Stay fresh and green. Here's what happens. They proclaim the Lord is upright. He is my rock. Say that out loud. He is my rock. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. The beauty of this is that you could easily get to the end of your life and say, God has been bitter to me. God has allowed hardships to come to me. What a horrible life I've come. Why did that person have to be taken from me? Why did I get this illness? Why do I have this pain in my elbow? What is going on? Certainly God has been bad to me. But when you are planted where God wants you to be planted, and when you are nourished with his love and his truth, the only story left for you at the end of your life is to say, he is my rock. There is no fault in him. There is no wickedness in him. Because here's the thing. My growing faith didn't keep bad things out of my life. My growing faith didn't make my life better. But it sure made me better at life. Better equipped to deal with it. And through the, through the times, as things progressed, what I learned the hard way was that the best way to grow, the only way to grow, was based on where I was planted. And I thank God, my rock that he planted me where I needed to be. But I want you to know this. Most of our audience here is young. I want you to know this. If you're younger, if you're fifth grade, 12th grade, 30 years old, you know, whatever, just remember this. 
The longer you are planted where you need to be planted, the stronger you will be. Number three on our sheet, be patient. Give God time. Just because now you're planted in the right place doesn't mean things will magically change. Some of you, listen, listen, some of you have been planted in the wrong place for so long. You are getting your approval from the wrong place. You are getting your motivation from the wrong place. You are turning to the wrong thing to fix your problems. You were there for so long. Would you just be patient? Give God time. He's your loving Father. And in time, He will grow you strong. I got to close things off here. Here's, here's the bottom line. Growing faith won't necessarily make your life better, but it will make you better at life. The biggest factor is where you're planted, and God has planted you in a place full of truth, full of love and grace in Christ. Be patient. Give him time. And I want to stretch you now, stretch you here at the end to do two things that I believe if you do those, these two things or if you crank these two things up or, or you know, put your own spin on them, if you do th- these two things, this will ensure that you remain planted where God wants you to be planted and that God can feed you as he knows you need to be feeded. Now, when we look at these, maybe you need to change the numbers a bit. Maybe you need to push them up a little bit based on where you're at, where you're at. But the point is, I want you to stretch yourself for the next seven days minimum. If you can do this for 30 days, it will become a habit. Seven days, you'll start to see life differently. 30 days, you will grow. The challenge is this. Number one, I will spend 10 minutes listening to God every day. Do you do that already? Make it 15. Make it 20. Spend time every day listening to God. And there is one place where he has promised you can hear his voice, and that is through the scriptures. Listen to his voice. Your Father in heaven knows that there are lots of voices out there, a lot of people you could listen to. You need to be founded in truth about who you are, why God loves you, and what your purpose in life is. And the only way to do that is to listen to his voice. That's what it means to be planted, not church once a week, planted with God and rooted in God every day. Do it. Guys, if you're, if, you're, if you're not wondering about it, what are you afraid of? Try it. Believe me, your wife will adore you for it. Listen to God every day. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You put the number on it. Just do it. Just do it. Second thing, I will spend five minutes talking to God every day. Spend time talking to your Father in heaven, exercising this amazing relationship that Jesus Christ died to give you. Your very words and thoughts, when directed towards God, are in the presence of God. He hears, and he loves to hear you. And, and one quick thing on that, a lot of us might be a little bit intimidated by prayer. We're like, I just lose track of thoughts so quickly. Like, I'm saying, dear Father in heaven, um, please bless me this day. I've, I, have to, oh, I have to get the oil changed, and I, before I do that, I have to take my kids to school. Did we pack lunches yet? And before you know it, you're not praying to God so much as you're making a list in your mind of all the stuff you got to do, and we beat ourselves up over that. Let me just comfort you with this. It's good to clear your mind before you talk to God, but God doesn't want your perfect prayer. He just wants your prayer. Take five minutes. Set a timer. 
Say, Father, here's what's on my mind. I want to talk to you. And in that process, you will be planted where your Father wants you to be planted. As we take all this together next week, can you imagine what happens when a group of people planted in the presence of God, in community with one another, can you imagine what they can do and what impact they can make? Next week, we'll talk about the amazing impact we can make when we stretch together as a group. For today, let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, today was a, was a big day to challenge, first of all, myself, preaching to myself, but also, I know, challenging a lot of people in this room to think about where we've been planted. I know when things like this come up, there can be guilt, there can be sadness, there can be regret about things we've done in the past and how we've been maybe wasting the time you've given us. But I thank you, Father, that with everyone in this room and everyone listening to this message, there is forgiveness. There is life. You put to death the roots that we tried to put down, and you brought us to a better place through your Son. So give us the courage to do what needs to be done next, to be intentional about where we are planted, and to look for the blessings that only you can give. I ask all those things in Jesus' name.